I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. On today, Tuesday, the 11th of February, the Tuesday after what was what you might call an electoral earthquake. Uh, with our results from the general election on Sunday and Monday, uh, we have a completely changed landscape in which we now have three parties all on roughly the same level of votes. They're about 22-23% and the big, big problem of deciding and forming the next government for the coming Dáil term. Joining me to discuss this and all the other fallout we have the Irish Examiner's political editor, Danny McConnell. Danny, you're still standing. Just about make no more than yourself. Your first impressions at this remove of uh, what has occurred? Yeah, I, I think it's just um, the complexity, the scale and the sheer impact of the Sinn Féin surge uh, is still only kind of being felt. I think if you know, Fianna Gael had a bad day on Sunday, um, Fianna Fáil had a very bad day on Monday in terms of the seats that they lost. So, like, they were in competition for up to forty-eight seats, and by last night they were, you know, down at uh, thirty-eight. You know, because they like every bounce of the ball in terms of transfers just went against them uh, on Monday. So, in the lower orders, you were seeing the distorting impact of the champagne surplus that would have that they could have gone to a running mate had they had running mates in place. That vote was just going everywhere, and it was going everywhere other than Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, basically. Just to briefly run through the specifics, Danny, um, all the seats now filled yeah. since late last night. Sinn Féin on 37 seats, 24.53% of the vote. Fianna Fáil on 38 seats, but 22.18% of the vote, which puts Sinn Féin in the position whereby they have garnered the largest popular vote in terms of first preferences. In third place, Fianna Gael on 35 at 20.86% of the vote. Uh, the Greens have 12, a very good result for them. Labour have six seats, Social Democrats have six, Solidarity People Before Profit have five, and others including Independents have 21 seats. So that's the light land. Danny, in the first instance, uh, quite obvious, well, it would seem that two of the big three effectively have to come together in some form if we're to have any chance of a coherent government. And even at that, they'll still need a third entity yeah. to get past the, the magic number of 80. I, like, given the fact that Fine Gael have been so trenchant in their insistence that they're just not even going to like bother with talking to Sinn Féin, that the only realistic option, if it is to work on these numbers, is, is some form of coalition between Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil. You add the Greens, 12 in there, you're certainly over the, the, the majority mark of 80 seats. Uh, whether Fianna Fáil can bring themselves to, to doing a deal or not is the big open question. You've had clear divides between a lot of the parties leading lights. You've Michal Martin again this morning uh, insisting that uh, Fianna Fáil will not be going into government with, with Sinn Féin, but you know, talking to them is a different thing from you know essentially agreeing a programme for government. The left-wing government that Sinn Féin have, have sought is not possible. They just don't get the numbers. A Sinn Féin-Fine Gael coalition is just not on the table and Fine Gael have made that categorically clear. Um, so the only real other viable option, short of going to the country again, 
is this uh, is this kind of idea of a Sinn Féin Fianna Fáil hookup, and whether it takes three days, three weeks, or even three months, dare I say it, that's likely to be the dance we're going to have to dance if any sort of government is to be formed. Even if that's come to pass, Danny, um, are we going to have a lot of choreography just for the sake of it? It seems to be the, the case in situations. Yeah, there's a lot of political position that has to go through. I mean, particularly given how, again, strident Micheál Martin has been in his kind of criticism of Sinn Féin, his refusal to countenance doing a deal with them. Um, like, it will come down to the choice of the least worst option versus um, going back to the country again. And I think no like any, any party that, that is essentially blamed for causing a second general election is taking, you know, their chances of survival Does in their hands. Does that apply equally to Sinn Féin? Because some people would suggest that Sinn Féin on the basis that quite obviously they did a defensive strategy in the last election. They deselected a number of candidates. They obviously didn't have enough candidates. If they had enough candidates in the field, they could possibly have got another 10, 12 seats and put them in a hugely commanding position. Therefore, would it not be in their interests if it turns out that uh, an agreement can't be met and uh, everyone goes back to the country? That's all assuming things stay the same. And, we, and I think what the campaign showed us is just how fickle the Irish electors has become and how volatile the Irish electorate has become. The reason Sinn Féin were deselecting candidates even as late as a week before the campaign started was because they thought their vote was going to drop. No one saw the surge or the size of the surge or the, the scale of the surge. As quickly as, as it has come, it could easily fade away. I am not convinced that the 22 whatever percent that voted for Sinn Féin is a completely Sinn Féin vote. It's the floating voter, it's the disenfranchised vote, it's an anti-establishment vote. And all of that can dissipate and fracture and go anywhere. It went not to the, within, not within. I'd suggest a couple of months. It, it could if you were to come back to them in three years' time. Nine months ago, Sinn Féin got less than nine percent. or got nine percent of the vote at local and European level. They lost two MEPs. They lost eighty plus councillors. People who lost their council seats topped the poll this time round. I mean, like it's as volatile as you can get. Um, and what you're seeing is. Um, like, or people are saying that this is a massive realignment. I think it's too early to be that definitive as to the impact of the Sinn Féin vote. But, like, they got roughly 14% of the vote last time in 2016. So they've jumped by 7 or 8%. You know, they're now very much part of the big three in Irish politics. Um, but they're a long... All, par- all of those three parties are still a long way off forming a majority government. Um, even if you merge two of them together, you're still not necessarily hitting the, four, the 80 seat mark. So not it's, at all. I don't think know, there's any combination. You know, it, it's getting very, very fractured, very, very, you know, very, very complex. And all of that means that, you know, when you start getting into kind of patching a two-way, three-way, four-way government together, as as has been, you know, kind of spoken about, you've so many personalities, so many moving parts, so many compromises and red lines that would have to be erased or kind of run over if any sort of deal is going to work. To all of it, points you to the to the suggestion or the conclusion that it can't work, and therefore, the grand coalition, even though it would struggle, even though in my view it would struggle to have legitimacy in the eyes of the public, given I think there's a very loud rejection of both parties and the confidence and supply arrangement, does come back into play because it's that or if Sinn Fein are to be excluded from 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 the kind of negotiations or or the the the, the calculations. It's the only option really in town. Well, uh, put another way to you, Danny. You suggest that, okay, suppose you, you end up in a fall in a Gale Grand Coalition. You're then with the grand total of 73 seats. Put the Greens in there on top of it. Well, I'm it? just about to come to that. In the scenario, or as you said yourself, 
because of the result, would such a, a coalition have a democratic legitimacy with the electorate? And if not, why then would the likes of the Greens, the Sock Dems or Labour even contemplate going in? They're not going to prop that up on the basis that they're throwing themselves as hostages to fortune. It, it would struggle for legitimacy now. But if, say, for 80 days down the line and we still haven't got a government and, you know, different, you know, different avenues have been closed off and it comes back into play as being the only viable option left on the table after all avenues, again, have been exhausted, then the legitimacy argument may have to be overcome. You know, or may, you know the, 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 the landscape may be different and the public feeling may be different. Um, and I think ultimately what you're seeing is there's a, there's a desire of the Green Party to get into government. There's a desire for the Sock Dems to get to be relevant and to be in play. And even if they get two cabinet seats, they'd be delighted with themselves. Uh, whether they really care as to who the larger party is, I mean, if they get their agenda agreed to and oh, get yeah, two like seats in the cabinet, yeah. they, you know, you don't really mind who you're doing business with. Like, what has been very interesting over the last 24 hours or so, even as, as counting was concluding yesterday, was this uh, very clear strategy by both Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil to pull back and let Mary Lou make the running over the last, you know, over the next next little while. You know, very clear the message from Fine Gael was you you say you want to be in government so badly, you've won the popular vote, you get first crack at it. Like, you know, we're Fine Gael, we're in third position, it's not up to us to form a government. Um so therefore it'll be interesting. So the choreography will be Mary Lou will now have to dance the dance with the smaller left wing parties to see if what sort of agreement they can get in principle, even if they don't get the numbers Let's see what sort of agreement, even in initial terms, can be reached. Um, and then at some stage, the big parties are going to have to sit down and talk to each other. And where and where that goes just remains to be seen. There's so many twists and turns, possibilities, scenarios that, that could come out. That's why I say it's really, really difficult to, to kind of say for definite which way it's going to go. A couple of things that seem to have emerged. Um, one line put out by Sinn Féin and Mary Lou MacDonald in particular was uh, give us a chance. You've seen the others, you've seen the way they have messed things up. Give us a chance. That has definitely been the case. Um, exit polls and others suggest that uh, an attitude among the electorate is similar. We, we've tried the others. It's time to give Mary Lou a chance. And interesting, I saw a lot of comment that it's not a question of it's time to give Sinn Féin a chance, it's time to give Mary, Mary Lou, Lou a chance. Yeah. So it's very much personalised in Mary Lou MacDonald. Taking all that into account, Danny, do Sinn Féin from their current position of strength, in your opinion, really want to go into government? Yeah, yes and no. I think there's probably pluses to both sides. I mean, yes, from the point of view that I think they see the other two parties as being weakened and they see it as a great opportunity to, you know, get the, you know, win the keys of the, you know, of the palace and, and, and take control. Um, whether or not they can do it with Mary Lou as Taoiseach, is another matter altogether. Like, I mean, if it's a, if it comes down to it that, that she's going in as Tawnishta with six seats at the cabinet table or seven seats at the cabinet table alongside Michal Martin, um, that's a very different proposition to... to but uh, the only thing about that, Danny, is if they were, for example, to come to an agreement, Sinn Féin have a bigger popular vote than Fianna Fáil and they've only won less seats, so why wouldn't she want to be, at the very least, be a rotating T-shirt? Well, exactly. Well, I mean, these are all the scenarios. Again, these are all the, the sort of elements and the sort of suggestions that now come into play. I think the big loser out of yesterday was Micheál Martin. I mean, if he, had, if he had been going into negotiations six to eight seats clear of Sinn Féin, there was no question as to who would be Taoiseach. Uh, now it is an open question because they, can, as you say, they can legitimately argue that she won the popular vote. She is in pole position, albeit not in terms of seats. However, politics is a results business, and you know, so that there's an argument on both sides that Michal Martin, in terms of dollar arithmetic, has the stronger hand because he's one ahead. But you're, they're virtually neck and neck. So 
like Michal Martin has set his face so far against uh, doing a deal. Would he be? He and he's also set his face against the Grand Coalition so far. But he's going to have to concede ground on one of those two fronts if a general election is to be avoided. In my view, like I mean, there's no other scenario that that generally will work. Is the Moses option likely whereby he'd he'd bring his party back to the promised land of power, but he'd accept that on the basis of his own utterances and his position that he's not there to lead him. Not dissimilar to Trevor Sargent back in 07 when he had said he wouldn't go into government with Fianna Fáil, the Greens were, and he <coughs> said, well, OK, we'll go in, but on, on, on the basis of my honour, I'm going to step down as leader. I don't see it happening in the case of Fianna Fáil. Uh, as we know, Fianna Fáil are the grand pragmatists. Um, if there's a formula that Michal Martin can find to allow him to stay on. I mean, he didn't stay on in politics in 2011 to not become Taoiseach. He stayed there to try and fight and to rebuild his party and to get back into a position to where he could lead a government. I think that's the ultimate prize. Uh, I don't think he would want to be, you know, would want to go down in history as the first Fianna Fáil leader not to become Taoiseach. I think he would want to get that monkey off his back by hook or by crook no more than any. Can he seek getting that second term by hook or by crook in 2016? Um, I think Michal Martin would want to do that. So I think what he needs to do is a bit of choreography has to happen, a bit of gamesmanship has to kind of happen, a couple of things have to play out, i.e. you exhaust all other opportunities or avenues in the national interest. You convene a special party or a desh or a conference or whatever you have to call it. You put the question to your party and if you win it, then then he has to, he has a mandate to go in and do it. Okay, and then from the Sinn Féin point of view, I mean, their manifesto was extremely radical. I mean, what they've put It was in a lot of places, in, in terms, certainly in terms of taxation. It was less radical in, in the areas of health and uh, health and housing. Like. Fair enough. That, that, that's very true. But in the areas, for example, abolishing the local property tax, yes. uh, reverting the pension age to 65 on the basis, it would appear from the TV debate, that Mary Lou McDonald said the demographics would take care of themselves mm. in the future, By at which point David McCullough asked her, was she advocating more procreation? And she said she was. She said, seemed to infer that we could hold on to the pension age on the basis that people would be happier under a Sinn Féin government and therefore they would procreate more and the demographic problem would not arise, which is... Uh, and we'll all wake up with a cro- yeah, crock of gold at the bottom exactly, of our beds and yeah, so on. Yeah. And, so, no, yeah. and, and, and there, there's another issue. The likes of that, the likes of the property tax... The likes of, and you mentioned the Greens coming in, that they would reject any move towards increasing the carbon tax, which is seen in most of the scientific and economic community as a dead cert for changing behaviour in terms of tackling climate change. Those type of issues. I mean, would Sinn Féin be in a position to roll back on the likes of them, do you think? We see they, every party has put forward a manifesto in the safe knowledge that every manifesto will essentially get thrown in the bin because it's subject to a programme for government. And you cover you have the political cover of saying, well, we didn't get enough seats to uh, to implement our manifesto in full, so therefore we've had to compromise. And in the price of forming a government, we've had to let go of a couple of things. Um, what I think what they have made clear is that their policies in relation to building more houses, social housing, and investing in the health service um, are sort of top of the priority list. So if, if other things have to be foregone, say if there's an economic downturn, if you know, if, if they have to compromise on certain things. But health and housing are the two issues that they, they would see, seem to prioritise. The issue around the carbon tax, I mean, if, if you're going to not increase the carbon taxes, all, the same, all you're essentially doing is building up. Ireland is going to pay increased fines on the back end of it, so it's, you're, you're, there's a cost either way. Um, but I think a lot of those things can be our, our movable feasts and I think are very much open to negotiation. 
there's a there's a broad consensus that the state needs to build more houses. I, I even thought it was quite interesting. You've Ibeck, the employer's yeah. uh, body basically saying that the, the state is too small for the size of the private sector. I mean, that's that's an incredible statement for you know a pro-low tax, pro-enterprise uh, body to be making. Um, but there is a valid point to that. We don't have enough hospitals, we don't have enough schools, and we don't have enough guardy, uh, nurses, doctors. The state, the infrastructure of the state is not genuinely big enough for nearly 5 million people. It's probably big enough for about 3.5 to 4 million people. So, but all of that, to increase those services, it costs an awful lot of money. So where's that money going to come from? You need to increase taxes. And, you know, Fine Gael, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil have basically set themselves about reducing the burden of in, you know, personal income tax. Sinn Féin want to abolish the USC for people up to 30 grand, which is going to cost 1.2 billion a year. Sounds great. How are you going to do it? Is that sustainable? Not at all. Looking for I wouldn't have thought so. Uh, <coughs> because you have to, you have to kind of, you have to kind of defend. And when are you, where are you going to get this 1.2 billion? The talk of raiding the apple, of, you know, the 13 billion fund, it's just nonsensical. Because like at the end of the day, Ireland's share of that is probably less than one billion. You know what I mean? In terms of because there's a, there's a call on that money from all over Europe. Um, so th- there's there is a huge question mark over the efficacy of the the Sinn Fein figures. But again, as I said to you, you know, all of those things are subject to a manifesto or to a programme for government discussion. Um, and all of a sudden you see that many things that were promised are no longer promised. And, you know, a programme for government could be very could look very different. Yeah. And the other thing that arises is um, Sinn Féin, since they began their uh, electoral ascent back in the mid 90s, have been excellent at being a party of protest, mm. a party of opposition of always being on the side of angels, which is the business of every uh, opposition. Uh, opposition party until such time as they get into government. But now we're talking about over 20 years. And were they to go into government now, it would be a huge leap, particularly as, despite them wearing the clothes of uh, radicalism, uh, we can see from the way they, they operate in government in the north of Ireland that uh, they're pretty straight down the middle in that regard. And will, will that rob them of an edge? Going into government robs most parties of their edge. And I think there, there, are, there are strong echoes of what happened to Labour in 2011. You know, they panicked in the last week of the campaign. They overpromised, you know, no return to third-level fees, promises about taxation, so on and so forth. And they couldn't deliver any of those. Once they got into government, they had to reverse their position, particularly on child benefit, which was the one that really, and carers announced and all that kind of thing, that really hurt, you know, the Labour Party core base, and they've never recovered. Sinn Féin and government are going to find it very difficult to implement the sort of policies that they would think are no-brainers or, you know, kind of key cornerstones of their of their policy platform because no other party would either let them do it or the realities of the public finances just won't let them do it either. Like, um, And, you know, I'm str- I was struck by comments that Finney McGrath said to me a couple of weeks ago just as he was reflecting on his time in government. He said, you know, he said, you kind of know very little when you're you're chipping in from the sidelines in opposition because you've ne- you've not been tested or you have no understanding of the complexity of what it is like to be in government. Uh, I think there's there's a great level of accuracy in that. I think you know being in government is a far more difficult job than people give it credit. You know, and trying to get stuff done is far more complex than 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 people would think it is. Uh, the machinations of the state do move slowly. Uh, and ultimately, there are so many safety checks within the sit built in within the system that a, a truly radical platform and manifesto like that would find it very difficult to get through. Look at Shane Ross's judicial appointments. You know, I know it's dead gone, it's gone in the water. But like, I mean, it, it was a program for government approved. It had cabinet approval. It had the, you know the acquiescence of Fine Gael and still took 100 plus hours to get through the Shannon. Well, Michael McDoolan's f- particular yeah. campaign, which he, which he would say in fairness to him, and I, I, I would accept it was based purely on the basis that he felt this was absolutely bad law and he managed to um, 
to uh, keep it going until such time as it ran in, ran aground. But I suppose it, my point is is that it shows just how powerful the establishment can be when it wants to rebel against you know kind of a radical move here. So I think if Sinn Féin were to come in, um, like I, it would be fascinating to see how Sinn Féin and government would deal with the Department of Finance when they, in terms of their trying to and abolish the, the USC. Housing, might yeah. I say, because there's uh, yeah. Larkin Sir has referenced this. He, he, a piece I wrote, he said it to me as well, that one of the big problems they'll face, the likes of Ono Brin, who has some great ideas about housing, mm. is t- taking on effectively the permanent government in that regard. Absolutely. And, and I think what we've seen, um, the legacy of the Department of Housing since 2014, when Alan Kelly described the housing situation as an emergency and a crisis, was the deep level of resistance and uh, animosity between uh, the customs house and local authorities around the country. You had this two-year, three-year standoff as to well, the, you know, whether the money was or wasn't there to build all these houses, and whether or not the local authorities had the capabilities to build all these houses. And what you basically have was the standoff between central government and local government. Um, local government giving out saying that any project over two million had to be kind of rubber stamped by you know, and that slowed down every process. And then you had this sort of complaining from central government that well they have the tools they have the money they're just not they're just not doing it. So I think Owen O'Brien I think Owen O'Brien will find it very difficult to to not fall into the same trap that Simon Coveney, Alan Kelly, and now Owen Murphy have fallen into in terms of to wanting change and wanting delivery is one thing. Being able to actually do it and get it done is something else completely. You know something we're, else altogether. We're talking about Owen O'Brien as if he is minister for housing, yeah. but. Let's face it, if they do get in, I think it would be, you'd get very, very odds-on uh, money that he'll actually be made Minister Housing. But on that issue, Danny, as of now, do you see it Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin plus another, or is it more likely that they won't be able to reach agreement we'll end up going back to another election? If Fianna Fáil can get themselves into a position where the door is opened to Sinn Féin and this party agreement that they can actually go in and do a deal and not hemorrhage through, through, their membership. through their own membership and not lose the likes of Michael McGrath, Jim O'Callaghan and others who have basically set their face against it in very in very strenuous terms, then I think it's it, then I think it's viable. But to get to that point, I think you, a lot of choreography has to happen, as I said. If that doesn't happen, the op- like I just don't see another viable option. You know, people have talked about a national government, not going to happen. The people have talked about a reverse confidence in supply, just not going to happen. Simon Coveney has made that absolutely clear. You know, confidence in supply is done. It did not work. It has caused havoc. It didn't work for Fianna Gael, didn't work for Fianna Fáil, and you could argue very strongly it didn't work for the country. So no appetite for return confidence in supply. I heard people talking about, you know, if, if Mary Lou can get to 62 or 63 seats, then they, they will, you know, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil would abstain. Simon Harris made that very clear this morning. Fianna Gael would find it impossible to abstain on the vote for Taoiseach if Mary Lou was in the hunt for that job. So I just struggle to see where a viable government comes from. And therefore, you know, it will come down to a choice, say, do Fianna Fáil do a deal with the devil in Sinn Féin as, you know, a kind of a twist. Well, not Sinn Féin is the devil, but yeah. well, in, in, fairness, in, in the eyes of some Fianna Fáil members. Well, in fairness, the Greens termed their deal with Fianna Fáil as a deal with the devil. Mary Minnan yeah, of wrote, yeah, wrote yeah. a book on that, you know. Um, so, I mean, I, I use that in a very in a sort of yeah, colloquial yeah. sense. Um, but I would make the point... That if if Fianna Fáil can, can can position themselves into a situation where they they can open the door to to such a deal or they get a clearance from an Oradesh to to go into government, then I think it's viable. I think you're looking at a pretty fifty fifty split at cabinet table, maybe with the Greens tagged on, you know, with two or three ministries, a load of junior ministries, etc., like that, and committee chairs. That could actually quite that could work. You know, if the Greens are in there to sort of dilute the impact of Sinn Féin somewhat, then it could actually work. Um, 
But if it's Sinn Féin trying to lead a government, I find that very problematic and difficult to see it vi- being viable. What do you say about the future of Leo Varadkar? I think it's very uncertain. I think... Uh, he, he did be- in, in the end, he, he, he did better than was thought leading up to the last week or so. It's the second day. worst result his party's ever had. It's the but, worst. I, but in fairness, you should put that in the context that the joint Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael vote has depleted a fair bit since it has. the last time. So there was great shock in 2016 that the, the combined Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil vote fell below 50%. There had been a school of thought that you know, the economy was stabilising, that we were moving forward, that the two parties between them would get back up to 60%, you know, um, and 120 seats between the two of them. That was sort of the conventional wisdom. Both parties were, were telling you that we were on course for that. They were on course for that up until kind of the midway of last year. Fine Gael had a disastrous 2019 between the National Broadband Plan, Children's Hospital, Verona Murphy, Dara Murphy, Maria Bailey... And then into early 2020, the RIC controversy, which I did think was uh, crucial in, in thinking a lot of people turning off Fine Gael. Um, it is fair to say, in my view, that Leo Varadkar and the Leo Varadkar project has failed and failed utterly. Um, to get, he's in, the, he's in the ballpark, the sort of rejection of Fine Gael, he's down in sort of Michael Noonan territory and Michael Noonan had to resign in 2002. I take your point that the, you know, sort of, there has been a greater fracturing of the vote. But, you know, it all could have been so different. Leo Varadkar could have gone to the polls in late 2018 when he had a 12-point lead on Fianna Fáil and he probably would still have... So about the third election yeah. in which Fine Gael were incumbents that we've yeah. said that yeah. about... Yeah. Like, like he, would have had a, he would have had a majority, he would have, like, or he certainly would have had a very comfortable coalition to, to work off. Uh, he made a mistake, in my view, in plumping for the four by-elections before Christmas rather than going to the public. I think that was a mistake. I think that only served to throw momentum off I thought initially the momentum would go to Fianna Fáil it's clearly ultimately that momentum has gone to Sinn Féin um, I think they had a disastrous campaign I think the reliance on the Brexit issue and insisting on beating everybody over the head on the Brexit issue when clearly it wasn't resonating on the, uh, on the ground was a mistake you know, then the concentration on issues like the Special Criminal Court and the Paul Quinn issue you know, in the last few days may have uh, kind of made their, their own base re- reassess their position those who may have had their head turned by Sinn Féin may have reassessed their their um, their thinking on, in terms of who they would vote for but ultimately they failed to stop the swing to Sinn Féin Will he face a challenge? It's not obvious as of now I mean yesterday we heard the likes of Paulie Coffey and James Riley two defeated candidates yeah. or departing candidates basically saying uh, it's time for him to go and, and you know he'll face a confidence motion there's no one in the current parliamentary party who's saying he's on, he's in pressure or he's in danger you've had a succession of cabinet ministers uh, expressing their confidence and supporting the likes of Simon Harris, Pascal Donoghue, Charlie Flanagan, etc. have all been out in the last 24 hours. There's no appetite, I don't think, at the moment uh, from the senior levels of the party to, to oust him. Like, I think the only two people who are genuinely in a position to challenge Leo Varadkar's position are Simon Coveney and Pascal Donoghue. Simon Coveney is an ultra-party loyalist and he does, he's a, you know, he is... Uh, insist not doing things properly. Like he, he's not a rogue. Like he's not a game man for for gamesmanship. And I think he probably suffered in his own leadership ambitions for not being cuter in in how he played the game. But I don't get any appetite from his quarters that he wants to oust Leo Varadkar, and I certainly don't get any appetite from Pascal Donoghue either that he wants to oust Leo Varadkar. The only question mark I'll say is Leo Varadkar himself. He has always made it very clear that politics is not a lifelong career yeah. for him. He has stated clearly that you know he's not here for for forever. 
does he have the appetite for five years in opposition or ten years in opposition? Does he have the appetite for going around the country rebuilding as Michal Martin has had to do the rubber chicken circuit, the Charlie Hawley, you know, you would wonder given that he has such a cachet in Europe at the moment. I mean, just look at the international interest in this election, all because Leo Varadkar had managed to establish himself as a real player at European level. Um, and I'm sure he would have no shortage of offers uh, from think tanks or you know big money big money machines to, and, to go off and do I, I, nice, I think have like, a nice quiet life. You know? Yeah, they, they, they say politics is a drug. He has the cut of a man who'd be capable of weaning himself off the drug. He did, and I will uh, to pick up on that point. I uh, I found at several points during the campaign he struck me as quite disinterested and struggling to kind of be to look energized in in mm-hmm. what he was doing. Maybe the reality of you know knowing the game was going against him. But I'll, I'll cite an example. He was down with us in Examiner HQ uh, two Fridays ago and I swear to God he couldn't get out of the place quickly enough. Uh, and that was my impression of him. Like he was awkward, he seemed disinterested um, and I know he's socially shy and I know he's, you know, generally can be quite, you know, like the social interaction thing is not necessarily his strong suit. But it just struck me as a man who had the weight of the world on the shoulders. He wasn't enjoying himself. In the Kenny at the worst of the campaign in 2016 was still doing the sort of high energy kind of... Now, he got cranky and he made his Winger's comments and all the rest of it, but he still had a knack of being at least pretending to be enthusiastic. I mean, one of the great strengths of Enda Kenny, and I was never his biggest fan, to say the least, but he gave the country a lift in 2011 because they, for for in stark contrast to his predecessor, here was a Taoiseach full of energy coming into work, walking, walking into work, into work, walking yeah. into work. <laughs> but, it, but it was a psychological... I agree, I agree. It was and, a, at a time, time and place there was yeah, something needed. Yeah. They needed a bright side up. But he of. could walk into a room, energise a room, whether it be young people or old people and it was yes it was the sort of your cheesy uncle with the high fives and the fist bumps and the how's it going and the, and the you know thumping you on the chest and all that kind of stuff but for a while it worked but then he, he got he, ultimately he got found out because I, I think it's worked for so long yeah I think also as well he got found out because he suffered from a, a considerable lack of brain power I thought as well he was very strongly advised but I just think you know there was he was overly prepared overly sort of briefed I just think he lacked that critical element of that Varadkar promised when he was you know mm. that he's, he, he thinks on his own two feet he doesn't need a, a coterie of advisors around him to you know to kind of uh, decide his mind yeah you know? I mean I'd, I'd suggest any though brain power can have diff- very different forms mm. and it doesn't have to necessarily be analytical sure, or anything and, and, and to be fair as you said to Enda Kenny emotional intelligence is a vital thing for a, a politician. politician and I, I think he certainly had well, he had that in spades he had yeah, that in spades yeah. and, uh, but he also had I think Enda Kenny was a very old school type of politician and he, was. he was very tribal in how he ran his party like so if you were out of favour you were out of favour and just talk to the likes of Lucinda Crichton, John Deasy and Fergus O'Dowd who suffered the, the raw end of that. Um, and he demanded loyalty from like his, his lieutenants like the likes of Paul Keogh and you know uh, and others who just simply swore at the altar of Enda Kenny for, for nine years. And look, Paul Keogh lasted at the, at the cabinet table for nine years. You're sounding nostalgic for him. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I just, I, I'm, I'm just endlessly fascinated as, as how the Fine Gael project went awry. Yeah. Okay, uh, I, I wrote about this in a column a couple of weeks ago that I had a pal of mine in Germany who works for the European Central Bank and he, he said to me, like, how is Leo Varadkar in so much trouble? You have an economy that's going gangbusters. He's a real player at European level. Um, you know, he succeeded on the Brexit front. You know, he should be 10 points clear. He should be running away with this. Like, why? what is the problem? Like, And... Uh, it just has got me thinking as to how Fine Gael have managed to just make such a mess of it. Well, they seem <clears throat> not, when in power, they seem to, I, <coughs> to say they lose, run themselves is unfair because I don't think that's the case and I don't think that they get involved in the trappings of power necessarily or anything like that. But it's nearly like 
they they remove themselves from the general population well, in a manner that they, they believe on one level is necessary to do the job, but they forget that you a politician has to be political the whole time. You have to stay in touch. You have to give the impression of humility, even if you're not necessarily mean it. And they don't seem to have that that grasp. That Bertie Ahern factor, if you want to put it that way, who was a great man in that regard. Without question. And I, I go back, I think I may have mentioned it in a previous podcast here, you know, Frank Flannery was interviewed for that uh, End of Kenny documentary. And he made it clear that every Fine Gael in go- uh, party in government throughout the ages, throughout the decades, lost touch with the people because they, just like you said, they feel they almost have to do the unpopular thing in the go- in the national interest. Whereas politics is about being, you have to represent the views of the people and the views of the people do change and you have to be sort of, you have to react to that. Um, but there is a deep deficiency at the high end of Fine Gael when it comes to emotional intelligence. Certainly, there's there, there's no form there to suggest that anyway. Uh, that's the lie of the land. Danny, listen, thanks very much for coming in. Danny McConnell, political editor of the Irish Examiner. That's it for today, folks. I suspect we could be in for a long one in terms of dragging on before we have a coherent government. Um, the other option, of course, is another election. I suppose we could do it out that at this stage. It was great well, we get fun. to read you again, Mick. You'd be fantastic. That's flying all together. Yeah, grand stuff. Thanks, Danny. Uh, okay, I'd like to thank JJ Vernon, our engineer. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or the various platforms. You can let me know what you think at, at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at, at mickcliff. See you again soon, folks. Informative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.